I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Nine Cents, a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. We've got a great show for you today. It is June the 5th, and it was a ridiculously hot fucking day today. Um, we went up to uh, the hot springs in the Uintas and um, Spanish Fork Canyon. So the sun was out in full force, um, singeing <laughs> my fair Scottish skin, and uh, it... it you know, it ended up where I was just, you know, pure exhausted by the end of the day. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I don't have a great show. I do. Uh, a couple notes before uh, I start the show here. In The Devil's Advocate today, I'm going to be talking about an article called Letters from the Devil. And this is sort of um, a presentation of some articles that Anton LaVey had written uh, back in the 60s and 70s. Um, coincidentally, it is also a topic that I discussed with uh, Reverend Kevin I. Slaughter during the Underworld Amusements interview. Now, this was cut from last week, uh, last week's interview, because it wasn't really pertinent to his Underworld Amusements Variety Hour podcast. But because I'm talking about this article this week, I'm going to give you a little five-minute excerpt from that interview about that uh, Letters from the Devil article and some other things. In Infernal Informant today, I'm going to be talking about a cure for AIDS and uh, John Edwards being charged. A lot of good things there. <laughs> in, I already mentioned that in Creature Feature, I'm going to be uh, presenting you with an interview about another of the Radio Free Satan Network podcasts, Glory is Noise. And I'm just slowly working my way through all of the fine shows on that network. What you're going to notice when you go to Radio Free Satan is that you can either stream it live from your web browser or you can be forwarded to the individual show's um, iTunes pages or um, uh, web pages. Now, we're having slight issues with some of the RSS feeds on the websites, so that's not to say that they don't have any podcasts out or that they're not available. They absolutely are. Uh, so initially, while those um, sort of bugs are being ironed out, I would highly suggest you going to the website, if at all possible, and checking out RadioFreeSatan.com uh, for the live streaming shows, uh, first and foremost. And then, you know, go ahead and, and try to connect with the iTunes RSS feeds. And I guess that's it for uh, the intro here. Uh, like I said, I'm really excited about today's show. Uh, I'm going to be bringing in uh, potential co-hosts in the coming weeks, and I'm hoping that that alleviates any uh, tire of hearing my voice every week, <laughs> and and maybe you know bring in some uh, new blood, fresh blood to the show. So uh, and I think it'll just liven it up and make it a little bit more interesting. So let's go ahead and move over to the Devil's Advocate. 
The Satanic Scriptures hands down the wit, wisdom, and diabolical perspective of the Church of Satan's High Priest, Magus Peter H. Gilmore. These essays, articles, and diatribes have been collected from over 20 years of the High Priest's writings for his infernal cabal, some first issued in the pages of publications available only to insiders. From the magic of toys to techniques of time travel, Magus Gilmore leads the reader down a left-hand path where few will find what they expect. Magus Gilmore reveals principles of satanic ritual in a frank discussion of forbidden rites. What is a satanic funeral? How do Satanists marry? Find out now, as these unholy ceremonies have never been disclosed outside of the Church of Satan's hellish hierarchy. Here is the philosophy for those bold enough to be their own gods or devils. Visit thesatanicscriptures.com for more information. Released by Scapegoat Publishing. Available in paperback form from major booksellers and independents nationwide. In this arid wilderness of steel and stone, I raise my voice that you may hear. To the east and to the west I beckon. To the north and to the south I show a sign proclaiming death to the weakling, wealth to the strong. Can I get a hail Satan? Can I get a hail Satan? We are the Devil's Advocates. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate. As always, let me preface this segment by saying that I am a Satanist. I am a member of the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. <laughs> so I'm still... I'm still going to go back and sort of rework that a little bit um, and have it be sort of a slow build-up. And I'm going to be adding other Hells Aidens from other people um, into that as well to you know make it a little bit more interesting. But I think that is the rough cut of a final product that I'm going to be having as the permanent bumper for The Devil's Advocate. So as I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, Letters from the Devil... Uh, this is an article by Anton LaVey from the National Insider, volume 14, number 17. Now I'm going to go through here, and this is probably going to be the first featured item that I'm going to read um, from top to bottom here uh, in its entirety, because it's one of those things where, you know, it's an article written by Anton LaVey. It's not really a subject brought up by him, and I think rather than me trying to explain or give my own take on it, it would be more beneficial, and certainly after you hear the, the interview, uh, or the excerpt from the Kevin I. Slaughter interview, after I read it, it'll, it'll make a little bit more sense here as well. Uh, this is from April 27th, 1969. Last week, I devoted my column to transcribing some of the most commonly accepted fallacies concerning the requirements of the successful witch or warlock. Now, allow me to set out some of the requisites for the person who wishes to practice the true art of the magical manipulation of human beings, the practical nature of sorcery. First of all, one should not enter into the study of practical witchcraft out of desperation. Far too many people expect to wave a proverbial magic wand and thereby solve all of their problems. Everyone is looking for a shortcut, an easy way, a system. No one knows this better than Satan. Everyone wants to get something for nothing. The millions of contests, raffles, lotteries, bonus gifts, special offers, and free premiums are proof of this. So are the myriad books, pamphlets, courses, study groups, etc. that purport to teach 
the great secrets or revealed wisdom of one master or another. The true magician knows one thing for certain, and that is an adage so corny it seems worth stating, but very brutally true. You get out of life exactly what you put into it. The man that comes to me after losing out in everything he has ever undertaken expects the devil to have pity on him, just because, in desperation, he decided to sign his name on the dotted line, is sadly deluded. One of the unanswered questions about the book and film Rosemary's Baby is why the girl, who was originally living with the elderly couple, met her untimely death on the pavement outside the building, whether she fell, jumped, or was pushed. To the Satanist, the reason is quite obvious. The girl in question had been established in the story as a loser. Satan, in selecting a suitable choice for women to impregnate, would want no such woman to carry his own child, but would look for one with some enthusiasm for life. No one had to push the girl out of the window. She was destined to lose by her own actions. Her own accident-proneness caused her destruction, prompted by the very fear of the unknown which she evidenced. Power in Magic There is indeed great power in magic, but one must be prepared to take advantage of this power. If a person is a perennial loser, they cannot be expected to know how to safeguard their success, if and when it should arrive. Even if you could learn to be a wizard overnight, you would need the proper personality to go along with it. Rule number one in the practice of real magic is you must be able to conduct a smooth-running life for yourself. Throughout the history of the world, it has been established that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, or more bluntly, them that has it gets if you haven't a damn thing and want to get something, you must start out by at least pretending that you have something. The old maid who looks under her bed every night for a man is never going to find him there until she starts being seen with a man outside of her room. It will be said by some at this point that what I am saying is nothing more than applied psychology. It's amazing to me the amount of people that apparently know all about applied psychology that never seem to be able to apply it. In order to be a competent witch, one must be able to first learn and utilize the principles of applied psychology. All your dirty old men out there that think you're going to get a sexy young girl just by saying a magical incantation or buying a do-it-yourself voodoo kit have another thing coming. All of you plain, dumpy women that feel a handsome young man should love you for your inner beauty are deluded fools. If you are a loser, expect Satan to bless you after God has given you the boot there is a possibility that you have simply been playing on the wrong team, and a change in philosophy is in order. If, however, you change in theology produces no more success than you had before, don't blame Satan and his earthly concept of life. Don't blame the ineffectual past concept of God either for your failure. Blame yourself for wanting to lose. Convenient excuse. Another person, situation, or God is always convenient excuse for your own shortcomings and defeats in life. The winner makes mistakes and learns from them not to make the same mistake again. The loser makes mistakes and never learns a thing from them. Next we come to the step number two in which preparation for witchhood, glamour. Glamour is the term by which the enchantments and manipulations of witches and sorcerers was known for many years. Now the meaning of the word is changed to denote a dazzling display of beauty. 
We will simply define glamour as that which will compel visual attention, thereby distracting the viewer from other things. Closely akin to this is another word long used in connection with sorcery, fascination. It has been said that you can't tell a book by its cover, but nevertheless people do. In fact, if most people didn't tell books by their covers, there would be no need for such a saying. A successful witch must have glamour in her presence, whether it be in her sex appeal, her bizarre ugliness, the devices and conveyances with which she surrounds herself, or the place in which she lives. No girl who presents a dowdy, uninteresting appearance will ever make it as a witch. The reason people are intrigued by magic and witchcraft in the first place is because it represents one of the secret facets of life, the element of wonder. If the fascination for the occult itself is what makes it so popular, then it stands to reason that anything that intrigues, fascinates, or causes one to wonder will meet the same reaction on the part of the onlooker, potential compulsion. Just look at any successful prostitute. Invariably, she will be dressed in a manner that will attract men and alienate women. Their choice of clothing <clears throat> is that which will titillate, intrigue, and command the attention of potential customers. In short, a promise of more and better things to come. Who is the man most likely to cause an arousal in the women at a social gathering? Surely not the loud, boisterous, and totally open book type, but the guy who is obviously different from all the rest in appearance, but with what appears to be an underlying sensual strength, promising deep emotions. We are still animals, despite our attempts to hide the fact, and intellect is dandy, but it's the old gut reaction that will win out every time. Concept of God this is why the devil has always had it so easy, ruling the world. The spiritual, the higher planes, the concept of God, is basically an intellectual development, an idealistic invention, and must be thought about in order to function. On the other hand, the necessities, desires, indulgences, and compulsions are purely emotional and need no analysis to put them into operation. Therefore, the aspiring witch or warlock should learn well the importance of emotional appeal, and first in order of importance is visual stimulation. There is one hard, fast rule that applies to successful visual stimulation of a sexual nature, one that will always serve the witch who is reasonably attractive in fascinating others. That rule is, that which is most intriguing is that which is not meant to be seen. This is so aptly proven by the men in Topless Club who will shift their gaze from an almost totally nude girl who is throwing her body about erotically to an attractive young woman sitting with her husband at the bar who, while watching the show, is displaying a generous amount of thigh above the tops of her nylons. The difference between the woman on stage and the woman in the audience is the gallop there dancing is viewed by other women present with amusement and even secret identification. The young housewife, with her apparent carelessness in keeping her skirt under control, is observed by other women present in a resentful and critical manner. The reason for the disapproval from other women, and the sneaky but approving glances from the men, is obvious to those who know. The woman sitting at the bar, well dressed from her neatly styled hair to her high heels, is presenting a far better show with her revealing garters and an occasional glimpse of her underwear than the near nude on the stage, because the married gal, who presumably has three kids at home, is showing something that is not meant to be seen. Do you know what the most disheartening thing in the world to the devil is? Such things as unisex look. 
where you can't tell the boys from the girls because they dress the same. An honest homosexual likes guys that look like guys. A healthy transvestite. A healthy transvestite wants to look like a woman when dressed up. A conformed, I'm sorry, a confirmed lesbian likes gals that look like either guys or gals, but not both. Either people ought to wear no clothes at all, or wear garments that signify one sex or the other. If a woman has feminine charms, she should show them. If a man has sensual appeal, he should display it. The wearing of cod pieces in the Middle Ages is no different than the peddling of the basket in the gay world of today. It displays something that is not meant to be seen. Of course, all of these uses of sexual intrigue are the result of unfounded guilt established by the men of God. But nonetheless, they're here and we're stuck with them, so we might as well use them and enjoy them. There is an opportunity to free oneself from these hang-ups by the use of drugs, but look what that produces. Lack of discrimination resulting in the aforementioned unisex look. I would rather be hung up. It's a lot more fun. This is why the Satanist revels in what are considered to be sins. We Satanists consider hang-ups to be hang-ons, the very foundations of what makes our personality, our likes and dislikes, what they are. We like our fetishes, resent any attempt to remove them. This is why we are not a love religion that claims to like everything and everyone. We feel that when one loses their sense of discrimination, they become like ants in an anthill. Fortunately, most people are still possessed of hang-ups and are uptight about some things. Those that think they are free are usually working at it so hard that they have become enslaved by their freedom. Next week, I will answer some of the letters that have been coming in, asking the devil's opinion on a variety of matters concerning the black arts, manners and morals, and other subjects approachable from a satanic point of view. I will also add further ingredients to our study of practical witchery. Until then, sin well. That was an article from a collection of Chris X and transcribed by Kevin I. Slaughter on the Church of Satan website by Anton LaVey from the National Insider, Volume 14, Number 17. Uh, it's pertinent here because I just had a conversation, as mentioned previously, with Kevin I. Slaughter about his collection uh, and a book that Underworld Amusements put out uh, by the same name, Letters from the Devil. So here's that excerpt from the interview. I did want to touch on uh, the book uh, Letters from the Devil that you published. Yes. This is fantastic. I would never have heard anything about this. Isn't it? Had you not put that out there. And I've actually talked to a couple of people that, that are really, really stunned uh, by this collection. And, and for those out there who don't know, Letters from the Devil is a collection of Anton LaVey's article, Letters from the Devil, um, from back in the... like early late 60s right yeah yeah there's uh he published um kind of a a dear abby but dear satan uh type uh column for two different trashy tabloid magazines one of them's <laughs> called the national insider i believe the other is the exploiter and these were really like bottom of the barrel like or guess bottom of the news rack trashy uh uh, tabloids when when tabloids uh, were really trashy and um, and that's the best place if I can think of the perfect place for LaVey's writing on Satanism that would be it I, I actually cringe uh, going you know going into a bookstore 
and uh, going to the fucking New Age book section uh, and seeing LaVey's work next to Moon Spells. Yeah, and, oh, uh, <laughs> You know, and fucking, you know, Wiccan Rune Stones and, and all of this, and UFO books and shit like that. I would rather, if, if he's going to be shelved in a bookstore, I'd almost rather him see, see him put in the middle of the fucking gardening section than, than most of these uh, fake occult books. But, you know, that's, that's where he's going to sell. That in these tabloid uh, newspapers, you know, he's sandwiched into these stories about murdered transvestites and 500-pound cats and, you know, and whatever, just this, this you know, the sleaziest stuff possible and, and race, racist cartoons and, and um, just all kinds of, of sleaze. I think it, it fits in, in real well. And there is some amazing stuff in there that has never been republished until this collection uh, came out. And there's uh, 60-some pages uh, some of that stuff has been reprinted in uh, in his books, uh, the Devil's Notebook and um, Satan Speaks, uh, reworked uh, for inclusion there. And but uh, there's there's so much of it that that would have been completely lost. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I was really fortunate to uh, to get a hold of um, so much of this stuff and. Uh, I actually started the process of of, of OCRing of I've, you know I, I I have the scans of all of these tabloid sized papers that are reduced down to a eight and a half by eleven and uh, I started uh, transcribing them to to set them as as text in, in a more traditional book format. You know I stopped at some point and I said there is no way that I could take in the in the 70 it's a it's a thin half by 11 saddle stitched booklet i i literally when i i did a rough ocr you know translation going from this flat scanned image into actual text and i could easily turn that into a 300 page book be 72 because all the text is so small it's so compact um you have multiple pages of of standard book text uh, on one single page. So if I really wanted to make, I, I could literally print the longest collection of Anton LaVey's writings ever. But, it, but, but I stopped myself. And that would probably make, you know, that would probably get a lot of sales that this little 72 page booklet. But I looked at it and I looked at the ads that are still there, the portions of other articles that exist. And I couldn't pull it out of that environment because that environment, I think, is it gives it such a proper feel that uh, just laying it out in a in new text would never convey the time and the, it ages it in and, and puts it in a context which is uh, just really amazing, could never been, be recreated. I think that's the most important thing is, is <clears throat> maintaining the context. And whenever I read anything from Anton LaVey, that's what I like about it, you know. That, that that's part of it. I mean, the message that he's giving out is is always really solid and and just fantastic. But the context that he delivers it, I think, is also incredibly powerful. And I'm one of those people when I watch a movie or I, I listen to your podcast, for example, or when I uh, hear music, I like to sort of put myself into it. Mm -hmm. You know, just immerse myself and and just 
sort of take myself to it. And, and so whenever, like, looking through this, like, I don't read it from cover to cover. I'm, you know, sort of skipping articles throughout the, the, the book itself. And it just draws me right into it. And I sort of, you know, put myself in that frame of the time. And it, it's just, it's a lot of fun to do. And uh, if you're out there listening, if you haven't picked up Letters from the Devil yet, uh, there's something wrong with you. Everyone should be doing this. It's a great, great, great resource uh, for uh, hidden gems of thought. <laughs> Uh, so thank you for putting it out there. I really appreciate it. It's, it's my pleasure. It's a uh, really amazing, amazing collection. If you want to learn more about Letters from the Devil or to pick up a copy of the book, check out underworldamusements.net and uh, you know, check out the, the website, churchofsatan.com, to read the article yourself or to check out any of the other fantastic articles available on the site. Let's go ahead and move over to Infernal Informant. Now available from Purging Talon is the debut authored book by Church of Satan Magister Matt G. Paradise, Bearing the Devil's Mark. Bearing the Devil's Mark is a bold and no-nonsense treatise on the subject of Satanism. Not from the perverse pen of bitter and jealous Christians, or even their pagan counterparts, but straight from the satanic perspective itself. Sex, love, politics, technology, the god religions, and more, all brought to you by someone with over 25 years of actively living the satanic philosophy. To order, log on to PurgingTalon.com. Bearing the Devil's Mark, new from Purging Talon. Do you bear the mark? All in the Infernal Informant. Uh, this is an article that was introduced to me by one of my uh, friends over here in Utah. This is the New York Magazine Best Doctors section. The Man Who Had HIV and Now Does Not by Tina Rosenberg, published May 29th, 2011. Now, this is a really long article about uh, sort of a story about this. I'm only going to read a little bit of it and kind of give you my take on it. Four years ago, Timothy Brown underwent an innovative procedure. Since then, test after test have found absolutely no trace of the virus in his body. The bigger miracle, though, is how his case has experts again believing they just might find a cure for AIDS. AIDS is a disease of staggering numbers, of tragically recursive devastation. Since the first diagnosis 30 years ago, this June 5th, HIV has infected more than 60 million people, around 30 million of whom have died. For another 5 million, antiretroviral therapy has made their infection a manageable, though still chronic, condition. Until four years ago, Timothy Brown was one of those people. Brown is a 45-year-old translator of German who lives in San Francisco. He's of medium height and very skinny with thinning brown hair. He found out he had HIV in 1995. He had not been tested for the virus in half a decade, but that year, a former partner turned up positive. You've probably got only two years to live, the former partner told him, when Brown got his results. His partner was wrong. Life-saving antiretrovirals were about to arrive, and Brown spent the next ten years living in Berlin, pursuing his career and enjoying the city by night. 
He was gregarious, a fast talker. When he was out, he'd always wind up at the center of a group. I used to be quite the flirt, he tells me. I would have someone in a cafe, bar, or disco, and knew how to get what I wanted. In 2006, Brown was living in Berlin with his boyfriend, a man named Michael, from the former Eastern Germany. That year, on a trip to New York for a wedding, he began to feel miserable. He chalked it up to jet lag, but it didn't go away. Back in Berlin, his bike ride to work took so long he got chewed out by his boss for lateness. Michael called his doctor, who saw Brown the next day. The result came back, leukemia. A new unrelated disease was now threatening his life, Michael cried. Brown was referred to Sherde Medical University, where he was treated by Gero Hooter, a 37-year-old specialist in blood cancers. After chemo, the leukemia came back. Brown's last chance was a stem cell transplant from a bone marrow donor. Hooter had an idea. He knew little about HIV, but he remembered that people with a certain natural genetic mutation after a very resistant, I'm sorry, are very resistant to the virus. The mutation called Delta-32 disables CCR5, a receptor on the surface of immune system cells that, in the vast majority of cases, is HIV's path inside. People with copies from both parents are almost completely protected from getting HIV, and they are relatively common in Northern Europe. Among Germans, the rate is about 1 in 100. Hooter resolved to see if he could use a stem cell donor with the Delta-32 mutation to cure not just Brown's leukemia, but also his HIV. Hooter found 232 donors worldwide who were matched for Brown. If probabilities held, two would have doubled Delta-32. Hooter persuaded the people at the registry to test the donors for the mutation. His laboratory paid at a cost of $40 per sample. They worked through the list. Donor 61 was a hit. His colleagues and the chief of his unit were dubious. The main problem was that I just was a normal phys physician. I had no leading position. I was not always, I'm sorry, it was not always easy to get what we needed, Hooter recalls. Brown himself was not pushing the idea. At that point, I wasn't that concerned about HIV because I could keep taking medication, he says. But, I'm sorry, before Hooter asked the donor registry to begin testing, he'd searched the literature and contacted AIDS experts. It dawned on him that no one had ever done this before. My first thought was, I'm wrong. There must be something I was missing. In a sense, that was true. Guerre Hooter did not know that what most AIDS researchers and clinicians had taken as accepted wisdom a cure was impossible. The 1996 International Conference on AIDS in Vancouver before, brought the stunning announcement that a combination of three antiretroviral drugs could keep HIV in check. David Ho, director of New York's Aaron Diamond AIDS Research Center, went further. In a closing session, Ho said that it might be possible to eradicate the disease from the body with 18 to 36 months of therapy. Time magazine named Ho Man of the Year, but Ho was too optimistic. Treatment with the drugs, no matter how early it began, cannot eradicate HIV because the virus hides, lurking in the brain or the liver or gut without replicating, invisible to the immune system. It is waiting to come, roaring back if therapy is stopped. I'm sorry, disillusioned, some cure researchers transferred their finite resource and energy to improving AIDS treatment or working on a vaccine. Money for cure research dried up. Some scientists took to calling it the C word, or cure, with air quotes. 
Now I'm going to be skipping ahead a little bit um, uh, to address um, Brown specifically. In February 2007, Brown had a stem cell transplant from donor 61. Right before the procedure, he stopped taking his antiretrovirals. He survived the operation, no small feat since stem cell transplants from unrelated donors kill a hefty minority of people who undergo them. His initial recovery was encouraging. I went back to work, started working out of the gym and riding my bicycle again, he says. Then, Brown relapsed. In February 2008, Hooter did another transplant from donor 61. Going back to the same donor as standard, the patient is now accustomed to that immune system. This time, the cancer seems to have stayed away. More striking, more than four years after he stopped taking antro anti-retroviral therapy, there's also no sign of HIV in his body. Brown is now surely one of the most biopsied humans on Earth. Samples from his blood, brain, his liver, his rectum have been tested over and over again. People in whom the disease is controlled with antiretroviral therapy will still have hidden HIV, perhaps a million copies. But with Brown, even the most sensitive tests detected no virus at all. Even if trace amounts remain, it is impossible to test every cell. It no longer matters. Absent the CCR5 receptors, any HIV still present cannot take root. He is cured. And the article actually goes on for quite some time talking about his reaction and, and uh, AIDS research in general. Uh, for the sake of this segment, I just wanted to bring that up because of um, this idea um, of this disease and, and finding a cure and striving for it. And this is going to sound pretty bad, but I'm going to fucking say it anyway. At some point, on some level, I can't help but think, if you're, and this isn't specifically talking about Brown or anyone in particular, just really generically, if you're going to take risks, not wearing a condom during sex, um, having multiple sex partners without protection, uh, sharing needles in drug use, I mean, obviously at times people contract this, um, through no fault of their own. And for that, you know, there are antiretrovirals, and now, though they admit that this worked for Brown, they do state that it is not a cure for everyone, because not everyone is going to be able to live through the stem cell transplant or accept the donor's um, stem cells. Uh, um, and, you know, just generically, he might have been one in a million, or one in a trillion. But... You know, at some level, people have to suffer the consequences of their actions, of the lifestyle that they choose. And that's a shitty thing to say, I know. But I really fucking believe it. If you're going to, um, and again, this is not about the topic of, or, or the center of this article, Brown, because I don't know about his personal life, but I do know anecdotally that there are people who contract AIDS through unprotected sex, and that there are people who contract AIDS through reusing and sharing of needles, um, in drug use, you know, fuck, man, you did it to your fucking self, suffer the consequences, you know, I mean, it's all about being a responsible fucking human being, you know, Darwinism has its finest, if you're gonna do something that contracts a deadly disease, well, then you should fucking die from that deadly disease, um, and, you know, because we live in a world that we do, um, having absolutes like that isn't realistic, because people who go in for blood transfusions can contract AIDS through no fault of their own. Um, 
and and really there's a myriad of scenarios that that could happen. Uh, so you know, just keeping that in mind um, for those that do contract it through their own ridiculous behavior, fuck off. You know, that may be seen as kicking them while they're down, but you know what? They did it themselves, and I don't see why subsidizing that particular group, um, that irresponsible group, through our tax dollars for their retroviral um, medication, which we're doing, I don't see how that's helping anyone. Because it may stop them from their lifestyle while they're in the worst part of the disease. Anecdotally, it's not going to stop them once they go... um, and start feeling better, you know? I mean, they're still going to probably kick into their learned behavior, their habitual behavior. So, uh, you know, that, that sounds terrible. But that's what I wanted to bring up. Um, the next article here is about John Edwards. This is from The Guardian. Uh, I do a lot of articles from them. Friday, the 3rd of June, 2011, from Ewan McCaskill. And this has actually been all over the news here. Uh, the article reads... <clears throat> Excuse me. John Edwards charged with using campaign money to hide a fair. Former U.S. presidential contender indicted over allegations he misused funds. It's not very long, so bear with me here. John Edwards has completed one of the most spectacular falls in U.S. politics in the last decade. From leading contender in 2008 Democratic presidential race to being indicted for channeling campaign funds to hide his girlfriend. He was accused of improperly spending $927,000 to keep her and their baby out of sight during his White House bid. Edwards, 57, appeared in court in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and denied charges of conspiracy, illegal campaign contributions, and lying. He told reporters afterward, there's no question that I have done wrong. I take full responsibility for having done wrong. I will regret for the rest of my life the pain and the harm that I have done. But I did not break the law, and I never, ever thought I was breaking the law. He had to surrender his passport and was ordered to remain in the U.S. Edwards, who was John Kerry's vice presidential running mate in 04, was one of the three strong candidates for presidential nomination in the 08, along with Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. He fought the campaign mainly in an anti-poverty platform, but part of his appeal was his presentation of himself as a family man, apparently devoted to his wife, Elizabeth, who had cancer. Disclosure of his affair with Riel Hunter, whom he met in New York bar in 06, and who joined his campaign team, who would have destroyed his chance of getting voted to the White House. The indictment says Edwards knew the public revelation of the affair and the pregnancy would destroy his candidacy by, among other things, undermining Edwards' presentation of himself as a family man, and by forcing his campaign to divert personal and resources, I'm sorry, personnel and resources away from other campaign activities to respond to criticism and media scrutiny regarding the affair and pregnancy. He is accused of conspiring with others to falsify, conceal, and cover up by trick, scheme, and device a material fact, caused, causing the John Edwards for Presidential Committee to create and file false and misleading campaign finance reports. Um, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit here. Um, the supermarket tabloid, the National Enquirer, reported in October 07, just months before the IO caucus, that he had an affair with a staffer, but the mainstream media, skeptic of the report, largely ignored it. Edwards described the story as ridiculous. I've been in love with the same woman for 30-plus years, he said. He admitted late in 08 to having had an affair, but said he had not. He was not the father of the child. He admitted in 09 that the child was his, 
His father, I'm sorry, his wife died last year. Okay, so I'm bringing this up because um, Edwards is actually uh, my man in 08. He was the my first choice uh, for a presidential nomination. And it was largely um, because of his association as this, as I saw it, old world Kennedy styled candidate. Now, his anti-poverty campaign at its roots was an anti-large corporation campaign, which caused poverty um, in part by uh, shipping jobs overseas and sort of those blanket statements that go along with the Democratic ticket. Um, And so when I found this out, I was again reminded of fucking Kennedy. Um, And I'm one of those guys that, you know, if, if, if you are an individual who has a professional life and a personal life, as long as you keep them separate, fuck, I don't give a fuck what you do. If your wife has cancer and you're cheating on her and you have a kid with her, it's none of my fucking business. It may be shitty from a human being standpoint, but I don't fucking care about that. All I care about are the policies that you're going to enact in your professional job, assuming in this case he has one. And he didn't. He was never nominated or elected. But, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like the Clinton fucking scandal with uh, Lewinsky. Who cares if you got a fucking blowjob? Our economy was the best. It has been in, what, uh, 15 years? 20 years? I mean, we we actually were in a very, very fucking good place. And, and you can give a lot of reasons for it. Uh, but the bottom line was it was under Clinton's watch while he was getting a blowjob. And that's not causal, of course, but who fucking cares? As long as things are going well, as long as he's doing his professional fucking job, who fucking cares if the guy gets fucking taken care of every once in a while? I'm, I'm sure his wife did, <laughs> but everyone else is not their fucking business. Um, and, and in this particular case, I again agree. If he broke the law, well, then fine, you know, pay the consequence for that because he broke the fucking law. Uh, I, I think because, and this article states it also, the election laws are so convoluted that he's probably going to get away through, you know, um, creative lawyering. I mean, he is a fucking lawyer himself. So I, I can't imagine him being stupid about it while he was, you know, taking care of it. So yeah, he, he's a shitty human being, um, but I, I just don't see how this would be something that would stop him from being able... I, I know it will. I understand why it will. But I don't, I don't agree with why it would stop him from ever running again or ever being um, a successful politician again. But he's pretty much done for it, to be honest. Alright, so that's it for the uh, Infernal Informant. Let's go ahead and move over to Creature Feature with the interview of Gloria's Noise and um, Warlock Joel Gosselin. Is this thing on? All right. Is this thing working now? You got it. All right. Uh, This year's um, Citizens Against Decency uh, Book Award uh, goes to Stephanie Crabe and uh, uh, Motel Bazaar. It's, uh, yes, excuse you. It's it's not just a uh, book, photo book of uh, truck stop lesbians, wacko cult leaders, racists, trannies, and the uh, grossly obese. It also has uh, tits in it, which uh, I, uh, I can appreciate. Without uh, further ado, CAD Award for the Advancement of Immorality in uh, Books. Uh, 
with Stephanie. Where are you, darling? Come on up. What? what what's that? I, I was supposed to remember. Motel Bazaar by Stephanie Crabe. Available through scapegoatpublishing.com. The sky is dark. Moon piercing the night. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. She leaves the swamp, water slowing her escape. The creature nears, the damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as her last effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. I'm being joined today by Warlock Joel Gostin from Glory is Noise in my continuing featurette of uh, highlighting another Radio Free Satan Network podcast. Uh, Joel, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I know you're a busy man, so I'm going to try to keep this uh, as uh, succinct as possible. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, I'm a musician. Uh, music journalist, uh, music book publisher, and I host a show on Radio Free Satan, Glory is Noise. Um, been a drummer for about 25 years, uh, been in a bunch of really cool bands over that time, and uh, have published books on bands like The Misfits, Black Sabbath, uh, Prong, Killing Joke. I have a few other titles in the works at the moment. Uh, as well as some recording projects. So I try to keep my hand in as many different areas as possible. And one of those things certainly is the show on Radio Free Satan, which I started back in October of last year. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Uh, can you tell me what what inspired you to start your podcast? Uh, well, that's, that's kind of a threefold answer. Um, number one, I actually got my start in the music world, so to speak, uh, in radio. When I was 14 or 15 years old, uh, freshman in high school, I was an intern at a local radio station in town where I grew up. I would intern for uh, what was the top 40 radio station at that time, and also uh, like an oldies AM station. They were both in the same building. So I would do things like write commercial copy, uh, write uh, segues between songs for the DJs. I'd hunt down little facts about the artists they were playing. So they would say things like, uh, Brian Ferry, formerly of Roxy Music, who hit number one in 1972. Uh, You know, that would be my job. So I really liked radio as a medium, but, you know, there's not really a lot of money in radio, even 20 years ago. Certainly, there's a lot less in it now. Yeah. I never pursued it as a as a career choice, uh, but I always had a love of the media. So that's number one. Uh, number two, because I have this Gostin Books endeavor and have had it for a few years now, I always try to find new ways to keep the momentum going and keep the, the Gostin Books name um, out there in the public eye and in the press. And, you know, certainly when when a book comes out under that uh, under that title under Gostin books I do uh, some interviews with anyone who wants to you know give the book press and you know that goes for about two or three months and it kind of dries up and then the next book comes and 
That's how it happens, and it takes a it takes a lot more time to write a book than it does produce a radio show. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it served as a way to kind of keep things rolling. You know, um, every time I release a press release on the episode of the show, I have a mention of the books available. So it's just another way to get out there, you know. Um, and the third part of the answer is it's enabled me to uh, sort of reconnect and rekindle um, some relationships and friendships I've made with people in the music world over the years. Um, in the past year, I've been able to reconnect with uh, old friends like Jaton Damone of Christian Death, um, Eric Singer from Kiss, who I knew when I lived in Los Angeles, uh, Bill Ward from Black Sabbath, who's going to be on the show in a couple weeks. Oh, yeah. uh, good friend of mine, Bob Daisley, who's played bass with just about every metal band in history. <laughs> um, first episode I did was with uh, Steve Zing, who I've known probably 15 years. He's in Danzig now, and the timing was perfect because when I did his interview, Danzig had a top 40 album at the time. So it was a really nice way to start the Glorious Noise show on Radio Free Satan. But it's really nice. You know, I, I don't you know, hang out with a lot of people socially from my musical past uh, anymore. I live a, mu a much different life day to day now. I'm doing the family thing in New England. Yeah. So I'm not in Los Angeles anymore. <laughs> yeah, then. <laughs> so I can't go do a lot of things I used to do back then and, and hang out with a lot of those people. So this was a nice way to kind of reconnect with uh, some old friends, you know, and, and talk to people again who I've known, you know, really the better part of 20 years. Damn. That's so fantastic. That's the answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for those of the listeners here who aren't familiar, can you tell us a little bit about the format of your show? Uh, well, it is a music program. Uh, what I try to do with each episode is instead of just randomly playing a bunch of music I like, I try to pick a theme or an artist and devote the episode to that artist. Uh, for example, we did uh, a Black Sabbath episode where uh, they had released or re-released an album called The Eternal Idol which was a Black Sabbath album from 1987. Okay. And uh, Bob Daisley, who I just mentioned, was the bass player on that album and the chief lyricist for that recording. So I had Bob on the show, and we played uh, the demos from that album session. I talked to Bob about that particular era in Sabbath's history, and that was that episode. So I try to have a special theme with each one that I do. Um, the next episode is actually going to be with another DJ from Radio Free Satan, uh, Dave Ingram. Oh, yeah. A lot of people know him, obviously, as the host of Metal Breakfast Radio and Lambert's Basement. But he was also the singer in Bolt Thrower, which was a huge uh, British metal band, as well as Benediction. So a uh, very accomplished guy. So we're going to dive in and talk about his musical career and play, you know, songs by all of his bands or most of his bands yeah. over the years. So that's generally it with Glorious Noise. You know, I try to present something that um, might not be the most accessible music, um, 
you know, with the exception of Danzig, which was a top 40 band, yeah. <laughs> which is really ironic. Um, it's mostly underground stuff. Um, you know, this episode that's airing now is devoted to Malicious Damage Records, which is an awesome record label in the UK. Um, they have bands like The Orb, uh, Shriekback, you know, not necessarily uh, household names, but really great music nonetheless. Oh, yeah. uh, is there a story behind the name of your podcast? Yeah, kind of. I uh, A few years ago, I wrote an essay for my friend Martin Atkins. He was putting out a book called Tour Smart, which is kind of a, a music industry textbook. And uh, Martin and I used to play together years ago in a band called Pigface. And he's been around a lot. He was in Ministry and uh, Nine Inch Nails and oh, yeah. Killing Joke and, you know, a ton of bands. And he had asked me to write an essay for his book and, and help him edit it and stuff like that. So I talked about, you know, playing with um, Martin uh, doing the Pigface thing, which is a really insane band environment. You know, there were women setting fire to their crotches on stage and shooting spots, you know, from their, uh, like they wore these metal panties and they were like, you know, shooting fire from their crotches. And, you know, and, and at one point in the essay, I, I say glorious noise, like glorious. Yeah. So glorious noise kind of kept circulating in my head. And I like the phrase. And I think there are already a couple of places online that use the name glorious noise. So I thought, okay, well, how about glory is noise? Yeah. You know, and that's how that came about. My wife, Shannon, who's uh, also part of our little club, so to speak, yeah. uh, she designed uh, the, the logo for the show that appears on the website. Very cool. And that's where it went. Uh, yeah. So you said you joined uh, Radio Free Satan um, last October. What, what prompted you to... Um look toward uh, Radio Free Satan? Was it just that you were a Satanist, or...? Well, I, I, I've known Tiberia, who runs Radio Free Satan for a while, and uh, she's just a real sweetheart, and just a very, very good person. You know, Radio Free Satan is an independent entity. I wanted to do a radio show, because I'd done a lot of interviews, being interviewed on a lot of podcasts, um, especially in 2009 and 2010. So I really kind of fell in love with the technology. Mm-hmm. Thought, okay, well, I have this idea, and I didn't want to start something new with somebody I didn't know. At this point in my life, I'm very cautious as to the people I work with because I, I, I have uh, less and less patience as time goes on. <laughs> I figured, okay, well, let's work with somebody who at least kind of gets the idea. <laughs> you know, I don't have to explain a lot. And, and somebody who's been at it for a while, and I thought Tiberia would be uh, a good person to kind of pitch the show idea to. Um, one thing that's very important to me is the fact that Tiberia pays the bills, which means that every artist who's played on this show and every other show on Radio Free Satan gets paid. Oh, yeah. Very important to me. And I didn't want to just you know slap a show up there and, and not pay the artist and Radio Free Satan does that which is part of the reason why the operational costs are so high but I contacted Tiberia kind of uh, told her what I was thinking and she went yeah go for it you know whatever you want to do and that was it you know so um, 
all of us who enjoy Radio Free Satan, and certainly those of us who produce shows, um, owe a considerable uh, debt and a lot of gratitude to uh, Witch Tiberia 9 for all she does behind the scenes to allow all of us to be in front of the scenes. Absolutely. What do you look forward to um, being the future of your show? Uh, do you see it evolving into anything different? Well, I think the best is yet to come. Um, as I said, we have Bill Ward coming on the show uh, at the end of June. And I've known Bill for a long time. And when I started this show, I immediately thought he would be you know, a perfect guest to have. And timing, it just worked out because um, Master of Reality, the uh, uh, Black Sabbath album, yeah. having its 40th anniversary this year uh, in July... And uh, Black Sabbath just had their album Born Again re-released in an expanded format. And that was the last Black Sabbath album that Bill played drums on, last studio album he played drums on. So there's kind of stuff happening in the Black Sabbath world right now. So I thought it would be really cool to have Bill on the air. And we did that. And that's going to be a really, really nice episode. I have some other ideas. I want to try to do a special... uh, California punk edition of the show <laughs> where I have a bunch of different people on the air um, you know because I lived in LA for a number of years and, and I played in punk bands out there and got to know a lot of the older school players from you know the late 70s through the 80s oh, yeah. we have uh, you know three or four of those people on the show and do like half hour segments uh, there's a DVD that just came out called A History Lesson which is um, the L.A. punk scene from 1984. Uh, a bunch of old footage was just dug up. Bands like the Minutemen, uh, Twisted Roots, uh, the Meat Puppets. And uh, through a mutual friend, I got in touch with a couple of the people who uh, are in those bands from that DVD. So I figured, okay, well, let's see if they want to maybe come on the show and talk about that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was seven years old in 84, so I missed it. <laughs> yeah. You know, so anytime I have a chance to kind of revisit or visit for a first time an era through the eyes and memory of somebody who's been there, that's always very fascinating to me. So there's that idea. My dilemma is I have so many projects right now. I'm trying to finish a solo album. I've got um, two more books I want to do this year. I've got the radio show. So I'm having this perpetual debate between which project has to be pushed aside. And, you know, it's possible the radio show might have to lose that debate, you know. Oh, man. Um, but I don't know. I mean, right now all I can say is we've got Bill coming up. We've got this California thing. I'm also doing an episode where I'm playing my favorite music that I've played on. Um, I've been on about 50 albums, or 50 more, rather. Yeah. <laughs> you know, since my early teens. So I'm going to try to pick my favorite stuff. Um, or at least, you know, my favorite stuff from the things that have survived, you know, um, and play, you know, songs from a lot of those different bands I've been a part of. There's going to be some unreleased Misfits stuff, uh, demo recordings I I play drums on. That's a given. Uh, I might play some stuff from the solo record I'm doing. So there's a lot of things kind of in the works, so I'm not ready to say it's the end. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, there will come a time where I have to go, wait a minute, am I a book publisher, am I a DJ, am I a musician? <laughs> you know, I love to do them both, but I'm also a dad. 
you know, yeah. I have bills to pay, and I'm a husband, and you know, there's other stuff going on. So, um, what I can say is, at least through the summer, you know, at least for the next few months, there, there's going to be glorious noise, and I hope it's going to be fun for whoever uh, is nice enough to check it out. That's awesome. I, I'm, I'm positive that uh, everyone listening to my show is uh, going to check it out. Everybody I, out there on Radio Free Satan doing this kind of work is important work. And again, you know, RFS is listener-supported, so anybody who is listening to this, your show, Adam, my show, Dave Ingram's show, Bill M. show, what have you, you know, every couple months, kick in a couple dollars, because, you know, the, the bills come at the end of the year, and they are steep. We're talking, you know, four-digit numbers here to keep a, a podcast network on the air. Jeez. So, you know, yeah, I mean, and Tiberia is a straight shooter, you know, she believes in being responsible, and paying the bills. So, you know what? It's one big circle. You like what you hear? you got to pony up. Yeah, and love her for it, too. So, y- you've mentioned you do a ton of interviews. You have a huge history with the industry, the music industry. What would you say would be your favorite interview? Oh, wow. Ever? Yeah, if, or you got two, top three or something. Well, Bill Ward is always a wonderful person to speak to. Um just as a human being, let alone an interview subject. Really great interview. He was part of my book, From Satan to Sabbath, The Metal Interviews, which is the current book I have available through Gloucester Books. Um, Great interview in that. He talks about some very, very personal things. And that's always wonderful when you have somebody uh, comfortable enough to express those things to an interviewer. Um, It just shows me I, I can do my job and get someone to... Um, open up in that capacity. Bill's always great. Um, Eric Singer's always great from Kiss, although I interviewed him more about Black Sabbath than Kiss. Um, the Sabbath is a huge band for me. Kiss is as well, but Sabbath is really up there. Yeah. Uh, the third interview? Probably Martin Atkins, my old buddy. I've interviewed him the most over the years, I think. From the you know from the '90s through today, I've interviewed him sporadically for different reasons. And uh, one interview I did with him back in 2000 led to me actually being in his band. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was a good interview too. You know? Yeah, that's a hell of an interview, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just sort of uh, sort of opened a door that is still pretty wide open. Martin's going to be working on um, my wife Shannon's album. She has a band called uh, Effection Hate, or it's a more of a studio project, um, you know. So that's a relationship that continues through through this day. And I met him essentially um, as a fan first, and then as a journalist, and then later as a collaborator on uh, his book Tour Smart, as well as the music stuff we're doing. So I have to say, those are probably the best three. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, you, you mentioned uh, the publishing and, and the books quite a bit. Uh, so, from Satan to Sabbath, I, what are some of the other books you, you're working on or that you've already published? Um, well, I've published a few. Uh, some of them I've taken I've taken off circulation because they're going to be parts of other projects. Basically, what I did was I started releasing um, what I called mini books. These were fifty to seventy page books. Uh, from a much larger music project I've been working on for years now called Albums That Should Have Changed the World. 
So uh, I started this whole thing by publishing a Misfits chapter nice. from this larger book that became a, a Tales of Horror, which was the first thing I ever published under Gostin Books, and that did really well. Got some pretty phenomenal press right out of the gate back in uh, 2006. I'm about to publish a fifth anniversary edition of that book, which is pretty much all new material, or a good chunk of it's going to be new stuff. Uh, I did a book on Prong, uh, the metal band Prong called Hell Prong yeah. Years. Uh, that one's still available. Um, I did a book on Killing Joke, the most dysfunctional band in the history of music. <laughs> <laughs> Which, which is one reason why the book is not available anymore. <laughs> um, I did a, a short-run, small book on Black Sabbath with my interviews with Bill, um, Eric Singer, and Bob Daisley, which all became part of From Satan to Sabbath, which is a a collection of interviews I did over a nine-year period just of my hard rock and heavy metal people. Nice. So that's uh, like 190-something pages and that's got, I believe, 16 interviews. Uh, Bill, Eric, Bob, um, Richie Stotts from the Plasmatics, uh, Rick Dufay, who used to be an Aerosmith, um, Opeth, when they first came to America and were looking for press. I did uh, one of the first American interviews with Opeth uh, when they came over. Wow. You know, so stuff like that. And that's available in hardcover and softcover editions through. My website, which is GaustonBooks.com, and that's G-A-U-S-T-E-N-B-O-O-K-S.com. Nice. And that was actually going to be my next question here, is where can people find out more information about you? So uh, there's GaustonBooks.com, which you'd mentioned. Um, what about for any of your other interests? Is there any other means for them to contact you? Well, the GaustonBooks.com site right now serves as kind of a hub of everything I'm doing. Um, we're probably going to be redoing that website substantially in the not-too-distant future. Um, one thing I want to do is when I complete my solo project is I want to make it a free download through the website. Very cool. So, um, yeah, it's it's and there's a whole other interview perhaps and, and, and that reason why I want to do it for free. But basically, you know, the music industry has devolved to the point where it's not about finance anymore. It's strictly about art, which means, um, you know, since I really don't care about money anymore when it comes to music, I'm just having fun making the art, which is what I should have done 25 years. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it took the destruction of the music industry for me to enjoy making music. (laughs) You know, so... um, So I'm making that a free download on my birthday, July 17th. That's about halfway finished. It's going to be a four-song EP, at least as it stands right now. Um, I have another host from RFS actually contributing some flute to the record, um, Sonny Bellavance. Oh. going to be making an appearance. And Sonny's just a ridiculously talented musician. I mean, he's, he's, he's an actual musician, not like me. I just make noise. <laughs> Sonny has actual talent. <laughs> he's actually skilled at what he does that's um, great so Sonny's gonna grace my 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 uh, indulgence I guess you can call it by playing uh, <laughs> some for flutes um, my buddy Pete Jones who used to play bass in Public Image Limited back in the day uh, he's gonna be playing some bass uh, there might be some other guests on the recording I'm not 
100% able to say who they are yet, but those are two people who are going to be on it. So the website includes music. You can buy Undead records off the website. Uh, you can read essays. You, there's a link to the radio show. There's a bio there. It's pretty much everything I'm doing at the moment. Um, there's also a Twitter page for Glory is Noise, which is twitter.com, Glory is Noise. Yeah. There's a Facebook page as well, but the URL is too long to get out on the air. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just go to RadioFreeSatan.com, go to Gloria's Noise, and all the pertinent links are there, and you can check it out that way. Oh, yeah. Well, i got to tell you, um, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a true pleasure. Uh, anytime you want to come back on to, to pimp out a book or a, another uh, you know, EP or anything that you're putting out, I would be happy to. And did you want to drop, uh, is there like a, a website for your wife's project at all that you wanted to shout the name out? Um, there is affectionhate.com, which is uh, a foundation at this point. It's not really built much, but that's E-F-F-E-C-T-I-O-N. H-A-T-E dot com. There's also myspace.com, Affection Hate, which uh, shows some uh, preliminary recordings and sketches that Shannon's done. Um, that album's taking its time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a much more extensive project than the solo stuff I'm doing. Um, but the album is going to have Sonny on it as well. Uh, oh, yeah. Our Atkins will be on there. Um, and we'll see how it goes. You know, we're, uh, we have a little home recording set up here, so it enables us to do things when we want without any real concern of budget. And now I'd like to present an EP from Warlock Joel Gostin, The Island.
those fright fiends? Hungry for a blood-curdling good time? Well, Terror Transmission brings you horror movie commentary like no other podcast. Listen in as your handsome hosts examine all of your current and soon-to-be favorites from the past. Tune in through iTunes or the show's official website, www.terrortransmission.com, where you can also find Horror Chat, on-site movie reviews, horror DVD release dates, and more. And don't forget to check out Terror Transmission on Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, and Flickr. Terror Transmission, the greatest horror commentary podcast ever. So that's it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Undercroft Facebook, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. You can also listen to the show through Radio Free Satan or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com or subscribe via iTunes by searching 9cents and don't forget to leave a rating or a comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. If you'd like to meet other Satanists, visit Undercroft at satanet.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine Satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit Radio Free Satan, an online streaming radio station. And before I go, I want to take a brief moment and highlight my children's book, How Crow Got a Scareback. It's a tale of a scarecrow who forgets himself and finds his inner strength in the unlikeliest of places. It is filled with satanic reference, so it's a must-have for your little warlocks and witches in the making. You can learn more or purchase the children's book by visiting adampcampbell.com forward slash crow. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Susan Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan. Have you ever felt that there was a level above being human? Do you feel as though you were better than most mortals? If the answer is yes, then please explore the Temple of the Vampire www.vampiretemple.com The Temple of the Vampire Are you one of us?